Okay, I'm here with Phil Hurley and Rich Thompson. We are going to talk about uh, a recent deal that just came up in the middle of this quarantine. So it's awesome to have some great news. Um, Phil is the founder and CEO of Slim Chillers. Uh, Phil, I'd love to hear this incredible story about starting the business and you know, how you've become this nationwide brand uh, in a consumer products category. Well, geez, I don't even know where to start. So, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been in, I've been in um, marketing and branding and packaging and product development for about a zillion years. And, uh, you know, just started looking into other products and looking into different things and different way we could kind of set ourselves apart from the rest of the market and, and or I should say different products or different uh, products in the market. And quite frankly, um, we, uh, we first thought, you know, let's, let's, try something, you know, I came out with a protein powder, right, of all things, right, who, who am I, who could think, protein powder, right, um, then decided to start looking at stuff more in the, the alcohol category, and quite frankly, in the alcohol category, you know, as you can imagine, there's about a zillion vodkas, and a zillion tequilas, and a zillion rums, and, and so we wanted to do something a little different, and without boring you with too many of the details, uh, quite frankly, we decided to kind of pick the low-hanging fruit. And uh, we decided to create what we consider to be a functional novelty. And by functional novelty, I guess it's, you know, set you apart from, you know, the pet rock, right? It's, uh, it's basically something that, quite frankly, it may not necessarily be a daily staple, but it's proven to be functional. People buy it, people consume it, that type of a thing. And so back in 2011, late in 2011, I, I basically created the product. Of course, you spend about a half a year to a year in product development and flavors and packaging and designs and branding and all that neat stuff. Hit the market in 2012. And like most other brands, you know, you ice, you ice skate uphill for a few years trying to get your, trying to get your footing. Uh, the alcohol industry is a different animal because quite frankly, the alcohol industry requires something called the three-tier system, uh, which means I can't build a product and walk next door and sell it to my neighbor. You know, I have to sell it, uh, legally I have to sell it to what's called second-tier wholesale or a, just a licensed state distributor. They then, of course, sell it into retail, the retailer then sells it to the consumer and so on. Um, so you do kind of have to, it's, it's a tough animal at first. Um, and so, you know, every time somebody tried the product or we had events or red carpet parties or something where, you know, we kind of showed up and did our thing, people really seemed to like the product. Just didn't really get any, any big lift until about 2017 where we were introduced to Costco. Um, quite frankly, Costco tried it in one of their stores in Henderson, Nevada. And, uh, you know, again, I had asked Costco way back when what they consider to be a successful brand. They said, look, if you sell $1,000 a week in, in any one store, you know, you're, you're a great brand. $2,000 and you're a rock star. Um, our, our first weekend in that first Costco, we sold $3,750 worth of product. Um, the following Monday, you know, I, of course, reached out to the buyer and said, hey, I, I, this sounds like good numbers to me, right? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that sounds like a lot more than $1,000. And so she immediately put us in the other two stores in Las Vegas. Um, and again, I, I like to say, I can't take credit for this. It was 4th of July weekend, right? Or just before 4th of July weekend. And so uh, we sold just over $6,000 in each store uh, over a period of a weekend. And so it just did really well. Were you pushing product? Was it just placed on the shelves and people like alcohol, popsicles? What is this? I would like to buy this. Yeah, I think, I think because it's, it's such a new category and such a new item and the concept, I mean, we had, we had quite a few things going for us. One is it's, you know, it's, it's a popsicle, right? It's vodka based. It was low calorie. You know, the colors are pretty, I guess. And so at the end of the day, somebody walks by, it was a great impulse buy. 
And they put us out on the aisle. So when you've got a bunch of these colorful things on the aisle and it says vodka and it says popsicle and frozen and skinny and all that stuff on it, I think that really helped. Um, we, of course, were doing some branding and some, or some promoting and marketing, but the reality was it was an impulse buy. Um, did pretty well, uh, well, did very well in the three stores we were in. And then, of course, other regions found out about it and they expanded us into a few stores up in Northern California. We then got expanded to a couple stores in San Diego, a couple stores in Arizona. By this time, you're, you're at the end of your retail summer. You know, nobody thinks about bringing products in in, in August. And so at the end of the day, we, uh, we kind of closed out 2017. Um, you know, for us, having sold about a truckload of product and a handful of stores did pretty well. Uh, fast forward to 2018, that same region decided to put us in uh, 42 of their 43 or 45 stores. Um, the Northern California region put us in, I want to say about 20 stores. And then there was a few scattered states throughout the country decided to try us out. While the others had already this tried us out. This is all Costco. This was, right. so far, this was all Costco. Uh, we, of course, we, we had already been in, you know, BevMo and Total Wine and a few others. And we're in scattered regional chains and some other places. But this one was really kind of, this was the deal for us. Um, and then, again, for some reason on June 6, 2018, we have no idea why this happened. The product went viral. Um, I shouldn't say I have no idea how this happened. There was a, uh, there's a blogger. Um, Pop Sugar, right? Lisa Sugar at Pop Sugar. She actually did an article on us and just did a real quick little blog and basically, and I'm paraphrasing, said, hey, check it out. Our favorite vodka popsicles back at our favorite retailer. We happen to be driving a truck, so we're going by the store, something like that. And that one just caught, it just took off. Now, whether it was a, a faulty algorithm filter on Facebook or whatever the case may be, within 24 hours, she had thousands of views, thousands of shares, thousands of likes. I mean, it was as opposed to the normal hundred you get on something you post. And because she's a blogger, other bloggers picked it up, other retail or other media outlets picked it up. And by Wednesday, we were getting phone calls from People Magazine, uh, Good Morning America that week, uh, Good Housekeeping, people like that are making, just putting all these articles out about us. Um, I was actually driving back, the story I love to tell, I was driving back from Phoenix um, that night, that was a Sunday night. And I got a call from our online store and he had asked me if we, he says, Hey, did you place an ad? I said, no, not an online ad. And I mean, I run our normal stuff, but he says, man, I'll tell you what, I don't know what's going on. He goes, well, we're out of product. And he goes, we got about 1100 orders today, 1100. And I said, wow, that's not me. I mean, I'd love to take credit, but uh, I don't know what happened. So, so the, uh, the next day was when I saw, I actually saw the article and that was the one that everybody was copying and pasting and copying and pasting. It was just all over the place. So that was the one I have to give credit for or give credit to. She, um, then at that point, now the stores are going nuts. People are looking for the product. Uh, we can't even make enough. I mean, in 2018, we had a couple of these old machines that are just kind of banging along like a punch press, trying to put product out. And, and you know, you're just, you're spitting out product, but you literally can't make it fast enough. I mean, the demand was absolutely insane. Uh, we sold, I, I told, told Rich this story. We've sold everything we can get our hands on. I even had some old samples that we used to pack in boxes and people were buying those. I mean, whatever they get their hands on, they were buying. Um, closed out the season in what I consider to be a successful season because my only goal that year was to not upset the retailers because we were telling more people no than we were telling yes. And, you know, I like to use a phrase, I don't like anxious frustration to give way to angry frustration. And so it didn't, we actually did, we did well. People were still happy with us. A lot of the regions and a lot of the store chains, by the way, that couldn't get it, understood why they couldn't get it because media had tied us to Costco. So we had to feed that machine. Um, by the end of 2018, I had ordered new machines. I had actually ordered some Italian, some high-speed Italian machines. Um, 
I ordered four of them. Uh, two of them arrived basically in April, April and May. The other two arrived in June. Um, same thing, by the way, I don't know what happened. Caught on again. I don't like to use the word viral because I don't know it's possible for something to go viral twice, but the same thing happened. We're now rationing out product, but we're rationing it out at a much higher level. So I'll give you an example, what we sold in 2018, I do the math. We did roughly 10 times that in, 2000, in 2019. Um, and so again, closed out the year, no inventory, sold everything. Um, and basically kind of got into 2020 doing the same thing, ordered more equipment develop more now, flavors. Back in 2019, can you give us a sense of the scale? Like how many states, what are the key uh, key you know, customer or uh, retailers that you're selling into? Can you just kind of give you know a sense of how big this got, how quickly? Sure, exactly. So 2017, we were in four states, five states. 2018, we made it into about 13 states. By 2019, we're in 44 states. So we were, we were everywhere. And because we have to legally sell to a distributor, we can't tell them to sell to Costco or anybody else, but they know where their bread is buttered. But they also were getting a lot of pressure from other retailers. So we ended up in places like Woodman's and Fiesta Foods and of course Bedmo and Wegmans and a lot of these other regional retailers. Um, and we were getting calls from people like Sam's Club and the rest of them, but they understood the dilemma that we were in. Um, so quite frankly, we, you know, from 2019, as we closed out 2019, we closed out with a tremendous amount of distribution, a tremendous amount of demand, retailers, uh, you know, basically blowing up our phones, uh, setting us up for 2020, which, which basically brings us to, to Caprice. You know, quite frankly, we, we took every dollar we made, I mean, literally down to the nickel, I think, every dollar we made, and we sunk it into inventory and machines. I mean, it was, you know, you're borrowing money to basically pay, to make payroll because you're, you're having, wanting to set yourself up for the following year. Um, knowing full well we had to hit the ground running with somewhere between 10 and 25 million dollars worth of inventory just to load into the system just to just for load in because the two previous years that was a problem we had was in 2019 we spent the entire year catching up so we dumped every dollar we had basically not basically but into inventory six new pieces of equipment for a new patented item we're coming out with um which led us to reach out to to caprice and uh you know i'm going to tell you something seriously it, it's Coronavirus notwithstanding, I got to tell you, it's, it's interesting to be able to, to meet up with an agency and individuals who were jumping through hoops the way they were. And quite frankly, we're able to, I mean, we're talking about evenings, weekends, phone calls returned, texts returned, reaching out. I mean, it's, I was going to say rare, but it's, I think it's impossible. You just don't meet people that are willing to jump through the hoops the way, the, the way Caprice did. So. Can, can you, um, Rich, can you kind of talk about how you guys connected and just kind of the process that you went through uh, together with Phil and uh, the team. Sure, sure. I mean, we were uh, introduced to a former colleague um, and kind of started the direct dialogue with, with, with Phil and Steve. And, you know, the, the, you learn real quick that this is a, a real product that has, that there's something there. Uh, and it was more about trying to find a solution um, that worked. Um, I think Phil, you know, Phil knew um, that his business was real and that there was going to be options for him. It was about kind of being able to move quick and have the flexibility, I think, to structure something that got him what he needed quickly um, and on terms that he could live with. Uh, I, I think there was clearly other options and other people he had spoken to. I think that um, either would take too long to get there um, or just whether it was cost too much or take too much of the company 
I think we, we tried to provide a solution that um, was balanced between getting there quickly, getting what he needed, um, and not trying to take, you know, more of the company than he could live with. Um, and there were terms in the, credit, in the agreement as well that um, typically we do that we, you know, kind of uh, gave on uh, understanding where he was coming from and sensitive topics for him. So um, it, it was a, might've might taken us a little longer to negotiate and get exactly where we both wanted to get, but, um, but we found a way to get there. And, um, you know, I think we did everything we could to try to get him what he wanted. And so we had, so we both felt good at the end of the day um, and bringing a solution to the table that uh, in the time frame he needed. So Phil, I'm curious to hear your perspective when, you know, people in the finance industry often talk about being great partners, but it feels like that just has, so much over usage, it just kind of lacks meaning. But I, you know, I, I really like to hear what this was like, you know, working through this process with Rich and the Caprice team. And, you know, how would you kind of conceptualize, you know, this being a partnership? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I think, I think where, it, where we really saw the value, uh, for lack of better words, was probably the fact that, that uh, Rich and his team had really put together a multi-pronged approach to it. Um, it wasn't just a, hey, let's just, let's just solve this immediate need, and then we'll figure something out later. It really wasn't that. We really approached it from a, well, he approached it, I guess, from a kind of a three-pronged scenario. And I think that really helped. Um, what I think what I liked, too, was, quite frankly, the fact that, that not just the response time, but, and the fact that they were available almost 24 seven, but quite frankly, the fact that, that they really were trying to push something through to get this thing working quickly. Uh, they saw the need, they understood where our demand, or I say where, where, the, where the sales demand was and where the, the needs we had to meet on our end. So I think when it came to that, and, you know, I got to tell you something else, too. You're absolutely right. There's there's some overused phrases in virtually everybody's everybody's uh, everybody's industry, right? And um, yeah, every time you talk to a banker or a finance guy, it's like, we can meet your needs and we'll be a great finance partner, right? It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know. But um, at the end of the day, um, I'll tell you something else, too. Rich is a realist, you know? I mean, everybody at the company has been great. Uh, everybody's very thorough. I think people catch on pretty quick when it comes to learning a new industry. I mean, to be quite frank, you know, you're talking about a finance company has to learn each and every industry of anybody they work with. And I think they caught on pretty quick. Um, and that's, that's really helpful. You know, you're not necessarily handholding through the whole thing. So there was a variety of things that I appreciated about, um, I guess, about the entire um, experience. When you look at, you know, coming back to your story, when you look at starting this business and the growth that you've experienced, what are some of the key takeaways for entrepreneurs out there, number one? And then maybe some uh, founders out there who might be considering a financing process and things that you are glad you knew and things you maybe wish you would have known kind of going into it, just to kind of help make a smooth process. But first on, like the entrepreneurial lessons here. Yeah, I was going to say, regarding any entrepreneurial advice, I'd say don't do it. Move back with your parents. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I think it's like anything else. It, it, everything's risk. There's risk in everything. Um, and there's not necessarily always reward. You know, you just have to prepare yourself for, for a variety of outcomes. And I think you have to be, there's a phrase I think Rich and I have used back and forth a few times. You have to kind of be all in. Um, 
you know, you have to, you know, like with me for five or six years, you live like a church mouse, right? Um, while you're putting your whole deal together, you, there's sacrifices you have to make, you know, unless you just happen to have a rare scenario where you don't have to do that. That's what I would expect in, in any entrepreneurial situation where you expect any real success. Uh, and you have to give in areas where you, you may not expect to give again, going back to the need for, for finance and monies and so forth. And somebody who can help you is unfortunately it comes down to filtering through the, the minutia, you know, cause you'll hear the same stories from a lot of people, but you also get the same answers from a lot of people, whether they be banks or finance companies or, you know, AR financing, whatever the case may be, you know, you'll find people will try to, I say people, finance companies in general will try to get you to fit their mold. It was refreshing to work with an agency who worked within our requirements, if that makes any sense. Um, and that's actually rare. Finance companies will tell you they all do it. They don't all do it. So, so again, I said, it's refreshing to meet with people you get along with. It's refreshing to work with somebody who quite frankly meets your needs or at least attempts to meet your needs. So, you know, that's really, that's really good. And it's, I guess something that my last question on this is, um, why do you do what you do? And there are so many options out there. Like, why do you do what you do? You know, it's interesting. Okay. So, I don't know that any of us jump out of high school knowing exactly what we want to do. I remember reading somewhere that there's a, there's a statistic with regards to what our careers end up being and what we want them to be, you know? Um, you know, I've been packaging and product development and design and all this stuff. And I was a car salesman for eight years. And there's all these things that we do throughout our life. And I, I think it's our experiences that get us to where we are. It's decisions we make, sometimes off the cuff. Um, you know, it just, or, you know, I think depending on how you personally approach life is where you end up, you know, are you, are you methodical and are you cautious in your approach to everything you do or do you shoot from the hip? Do you take risks? I personally take a lot of risks and I, I personally just go for it and you pray that it works out. And again, in our situation, the decision I came to to start this particular brand of product was something that morphed from a variety of other ideas that I had. So it was just stuff that came together. It's just, fortunate that I happen to have not only branding experience, but believe it or not, packaging experience and product development experience. And so, and sales experience. And so they all really seem to work. Um, and even some equipment experience. So it all just seemed to work and was a natural fit for what I was doing. Did it feel when you were starting it, when you were kicking those off, did just, did it just all feel right when you were starting the business? Like this is, I know this is going to work. This is like the culmination of years of experience. No, actually, I think it's a lot of nail biting, quite frankly. I, I think, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I think when we start a lot of these, these different um, endeavors, you kind of pray for that. You pray that they work, right? I mean, you, you, hope, you hope for the best. It doesn't always work out, but you hope that it does. And if it does, great. Um, I've developed items in the past. I thought, where well, these are a home run. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of variables you have to take into consideration. Um, for example, can you even get it into retail? How much competition is there? What's your price point? Are people even going to like it? You know, there's all kinds of things. By the way, can the, can, do you have enough in your branding that's just going to get someone's attention even before they'll even try it? Then we have something in our industry called pull through. At the end of the day, people will continue to buy products they like, that they could, that resonate with them. Um, you can usually get somebody to buy something once based on a concept, an idea, the price, whatever it might be. The gold standard for us is getting people to come back twice 
or three times or four times and actually get in the car and drive to a store looking for your product. We had that happen all last year and the year before. So we're incredibly blessed. I mean, we've had a lot of neat things transpire. And, you know, I wish I could take credit for all of them. I don't know that I'm that smart, but I think, you know, you try to surround yourself with the right people, the right help. This is where Caprice comes in this year is, is again, getting us, helping to get us through 2020 with the needs, um, the needs that we have. Well, this is absolutely awesome. Uh, Phil, thank you very much for your time on here. It's been awesome hearing your story. It truly is inspiration. Just every time we hear just the, like the nuances of the entrepreneurial journey and, and, and Rich, uh, you know, thanks for coming on and, and, and doing this. Um, I just, you know, we don't really hear very often the stories behind the deals. You see a press release that's often boring or an email, but you don't get to hear the stories behind them. So guys, really appreciate your time with us. Jordan, thank you so much. Pleasure All meeting right. you. Sure. So, appreciate it.